The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers, here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, we're into April, my friends. The weather is improving. Uh, May that conflict come to a rapid, rapid end. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Uh, the market action this year, uh, influenced, of course, by the conflict uh, between uh, Russia uh, and, shall we say, the world now. Uh, it's incredible. 150 nations stand united, and Putin continues to uh, do his moves. It's unbelievable. But uh, the good shall prevail. I am convinced of that. But the moves in commodities stocks this year has been, like, year to date, we're, th- we're three months into the year. You know, first quantum minerals, a stock that we own, up 43%. CNC Q year to date up 47 percent, uh, nutrient up 35 percent. Uh, why? Well, because of the conflict in Ukraine, plus because of the ESG theme, uh, whereby they have not been looking for oil and developing fields because it's no longer green, and then you get yourself into a bit of a pickle and prices skyrocket. And well, they hurt everyone, and the BC government apparently is going to be sending its citizens a little check in the mail to give them a little reprieve at the pump. But uh, you know, when I go down to the list uh, of performance of names that we own and don't own on a year-to-date basis, the moves have been incredibly wide. Uh, you know, names that are down are down hard. Even some of the, the, the banks, uh, you know, uh, JP Morgan down 10% on the year. Uh, Coinbase, of course, tied to crypto down 22%. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Companies like Ecolab, they're, they're in the sanitation business down 22%. Uh, Facebook, oh. 32%. So there's been a lot of winners and a lot of losers. Um, and it's been a very different year. And I always like to pay a lot of attention to the first month of the year because that often sets the tone for the remainder. Uh, this year, it may be different. We shall see. But uh, I was uh, approached by a very seasoned um, broadcaster and a student of finance, Benj. Not Benji. Benj. Gallander. Uh, him and I bumped, uh, bumped in the studios at BNN a few times, never spent a lot of time, but he wants to join us on Hi-Fi Radio, uh, and talk about the markets and, uh, about what he sees, uh, in the world as it unfolds. Benj, my friend, it's a pleasure to have you back on the air, uh, radio this time, of course. Um, my friend... You're, 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 you're very, very well written um, and, and well seen. The Globe and Mail called you the most classic of contrarians. Um, ben Gallander, widely considered to be Canada's top authority on contrarian investing. Uh, contrarian investing means you had to buy oil when no one wanted it and sit there and look wrong until you look right. Uh, when, when COVID broke out, oil, Benj, went to zero. Were you buying oil when it went to zero? Um, that would have been a contrarian move and obviously a layup to make yourself a lot of money. I throw that out to you just to start, if I may. Well, first, you know, if you want to call me Benji, you can. My family members and people have known me for a long time, do. So <laughs> you can go right ahead. What I think I Benji's buy? a nice, I think it's a nice name. I've always liked the name Benji. Benjamin. It's a beautiful name. It just, it just resonates well with me. But my friend, you are Benji. 
And that's what okay. you want. That's where we're going to take care of you, pal. It's all about you right now. Let's have some fun and let's talk about the, let's talk money. It is Saturday night after all. Yeah, I, I wish that I had gone in uh, with both feet when the price of oil actually went negative. Unfortunately, I didn't. What happened was after the financial crisis in the States, we bought a tremendous amount of U.S. banks. Nice. So we owned, in the portfolio that I manage, over 35% of it was U.S. banks. And, you know, we were buying things like Bank America at $6 and change. Wow. Um, last I looked, it's over 40 but You still have it? No, no, I sold it at 38 and change. All right. I wish I still had it, but we did. No, that, 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 that's good. Is it, that, that's good. That's not just a chip onto the green. No, that's 400% plus. In yeah, dividends. beautiful. Well done. So with the oil and gas, the, the portfolio that I manage now, the biggest holdings are actually in oil and gas and in gold companies. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty gradual transition, as you say. I try and buy things when they're out of favor. So I was not buying hand over fist. I wish I was. Um, I couldn't understand what was going on at all. I'd never seen anything like that with oil prices going negative. You know, there's been so many things over the past few years that have been brand new. We had one stock, uh, which you might know, costs earphones. And we bought it a dollar and change. And then it went as high as 127 in the meme craze. Cost, cost earphones. I yeah. know the brand cost. Yes, I do. Well, that, that's who it is. Unfortunately, we didn't hold it all the way up, but we did well. But I knew nothing until then about meme stocks. BlackBerry was involved. But you're absolutely right. Oil and gas was the place to be. It is the place to be now in many ways, although I am certainly looking to possibly... Um, cut some of the oil and gas that I have. The, the difficulty is, whenever I buy a stock, I always set a initial sell target. And I won't sell things generally before they hit the sell target. So of the companies we own, uh, none of them are there yet, although they have gone up handily for the most part. But it's a question of we're very patient investors. Everything we buy, we're looking at a minimum 100% gain. Almost often two, three, four hundred percent, and the initial sell target. Nothing is pie in the sky. It's all based on where the stock, the stocks have been before. So nothing new and exciting. Um, but yes, I mean your idea is right. I should have bought more. Oh no, no, Ben, ben do, 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 do not give me credit for anything. This is rearview mirror talk. Uh, did I go in with both feet? Are you kidding? Oh, no, I did not. I had an oil position that I've been that I was holding for six, seven years in Suncor, and uh, the stock actually when when it went negative, it didn't fall any further. Actually, held in well, but uh, I had a small position in crude. I paid attention to the movement in crude, and I personally bought some crude, quite a bit of it, with my partner Jack Hartle. Uh, good evening, by the way, Betty. Uh, we'll get you. We'll get you good chatting evening, a bit there, Jack. <laughs> hey, uh, but no, we we, we bought some more. We bought some more crude about a year ago and sat with the position and uh, Kigali. We paid 35 for CNQ. It's a $77 stock today. Uh, and again, just to let the audience know, um, Ben Gallander does not 
manage money, uh, Benj manages his own family money, and he is a um, avid author, uh, a contrarian positioned uh, author, shall I say, uh, author and co-editor of Contra the Herd Investment Letter, uh, website contratheherd.com. Uh, and if you're just joining us, we are speaking to Benj Gallagher. Uh, he uh, does things quite differently, I shall say, uh, stands on his own, uh, writes his opinions, and if people want to buy his newsletter, so be it. But he, he does not advise you on money management. He tells you what he has done, not what he is advising you to do. It's very important to understand that. And if you do get involved with his work, please read the disclaimer uh, and perhaps seek some professional uh, financial guidance as well. Do not go it alone. Uh, very, very few people are capable of doing that. But Ben certainly is capable of going it alone and has been doing it for, uh, well, uh, decades now. And, well, your numbers, uh, from, from what you have sent me, seem remarkably well, uh, uh, according to the uh, investment newsletter, uh, highest highest returns in the world uh, at 19% annualized over the past 10 years. Uh, that, my friend, is nothing to sneeze at, and a 19% return. Of course, that's before fees, I'm assuming, uh, and any commission costs, uh, and uh, there's, there's obviously some disclaimers around that. But let's continue. That, that, does, inc that does include uh, fees, commission It does costs. not. It does not, it right? It includes dividends. Sorry, it, it does include dividends, but it does not include fees, does it? It does. It oh, it does, does include fees. fees it does oh, okay. Commissions. Yeah. Oh. Uh, how many positions in your portfolio, uh, Benj? And and what are your best ideas right now? What what do you feel most comfortable in? And and, and thematically, uh, speak to us about what's going on and how you're positioning money for the reasons that you see uh, ahead of you. Yeah. Well, normally, we have uh, we we have two portfolios. I manage one. Ben Stadman and Phil McKellar manage the other. I've had for years 15 to 25 positions. I figure that can give uh, good diversification, which is, you know, important. But at the same time, I don't want to over-diversify. And in one of my best-selling books, the, Con the Contrarian Investors 13, I talk about one chapter is just the uh, devil of over-diversification. So there's a danger there because then the investments can work against each other. So that can be a major danger. Um, in terms of some that I really like now, uh, not so long ago, actually in December, bought into Yamana Gold. And Yamana has five mines that are operating very well at or near record production. They're now paying a dividend. And as you may know, I, I love getting dividends because dividends allow me to be stupid longer because I have some positions that I've held for three, four, five years, and they don't go anywhere or they go down. Um, years ago when I had uh, Stewart and Service Corporation, they were the two biggest funeral home operators in the States. They did nothing for almost 10 years except pay a dividend. But then all of a sudden, they went crazy, and service took over Stewart. Um, we ended up with gains of over 400%. So, you know, that kind of thing, still, it's very, very sexy in terms of the returns. Uh, right now, besides Yamana Gold, uh, I like Black Diamond Group. So they're in the oil and gas patch, because what they do is they have those houses when companies are looking to house workers. They put them there. They're also into education, portables, that kind of thing. Uh, 
reasonable balance sheet. They've been around for a long time, and everything I buy into has been around for at least 10 years. So there's nothing brand new and exciting. A um, couple others. I'm still into banks to a degree. I bought uh, Banco Santander, a huge Spanish bank. It's one of the biggest banks in the world. And again, to give you an idea, we, we bought it at 205. The initial sell target is 824. Um, Another U.S. bank that we still hold is First U.S. Bank shares, uh, paid eight thirty-two. The t- target is twenty-three dollars. And I'll give you one more gold if you want. Uh, gold Resource Corporation. I had a long conversation recently with the CEO, and it's still beaten down. It's been coming back lately, but it's a you know it's a, a lovely little company, no debt, paying a dividend and. I've learned over the 40, 45 years I've been investing that a major reason, and you guys know this, the companies get into trouble is because of debt. And so I, I do my best to avoid heavy debt loads. If I can buy a company with a light debt load or no debt or debt going down, that makes it far more enticing. We speak with Benj Gallander. Uh, he is an author, uh, Contra the Herd Investment Letter. Uh, he's speaking about his current personal portfolio, which, of course, he spends a lot of time then discussing uh, with uh, subscribers to his work. Uh, he is not advising, and he is, again, as we would say in the business, speaking his book. You have to be aware of that. He owns these positions, and it's in his best interest that the share goes higher. But he's not a promoter. He's a, he's a genuine uh, investor. And, uh, well, we're going to get back with uh, Ben Gallander uh, right after this. We're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. Show about money, Hi-Fi Radio, Saturday night, little fireside chat. Uh, we're speaking with an author, uh, Contra the Herd Investment Letter, ContraTheHerd.com, uh, Mr. Benj Gallander. Uh, Benj and I used to rub shoulders a little bit in the BNN studios, and uh, well, uh, Benj continues to uh, share with the world uh, his own personal investing strategy, and uh, people subscribe to it, and his own personal success rate. Now, these are unaudited numbers, my friends, uh, but very, very handsome, and the high... Uh, uh, well, 19% uh, is the published return that, that Ben is sending to me. Again, he's unaudited, my friends, so I just share that with you. But uh, Ben certainly is a very seasoned investor, and he thinks uh, very logically. Uh, he's an investor. He's not a speculator. He takes positions, and he hangs on to them to come to fruition. And uh, in speaking with Ben, you can tell he does his homework. Um, so do you do a lot of primary research, Benj, I shall call that, marketing speak, primary research where you actually visit the company, 
speak directly with the company uh, and really get your hands dirty and roll up your sleeves in terms of your research? Or do you uh, stand back and just read market research and, and grab data from all the various sources, Bloomberg and FactSet and the likes, and, and come to your own conclusions that way? Or do you do both? And I'm assuming, yeah, either both or the latter. Yeah, no, we do. We do both. Um, in Canada, companies are very happy to speak with us because we have a, a certain name here. Sometimes we'll visit with them. Sometimes it'll be over the phone. Uh, sometimes it's Zoom. In the States, uh, not so much. We may talk to them, but we generally don't go and, and visit them. Um, so, you know, we, we, we try and do everything effectively. And once I discover companies, so to speak, and it has to be down at least 33% in the past 52 weeks. Uh, I won't buy in for at least six months, often for years. And that way I get to know the company far better. And in terms of, you know, the results... Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, I apologize, Ben. I'm trying to learn something here about your style. Did you mention, did you say you want to purchase stocks only or start looking at stocks only that are down 30% on the year? Yeah, they have to be down at least 33% to... Oh, you want to buy stuff that's down. Okay, that's interesting. Carry, carry, carry on, my friend. Carry on. That's very interesting. Well, everything that's down and beaten up, so it has to be down at least 33% in the past yeah. year, uh, often way more. They always said 10 years, so they have a track record. But if you want to buy a stock um, like a Bank America, sure, you can buy it now. But, I mean, the thinking back then was the American banking system was going to survive. And at $6 and change, it seemed like a, an awfully good thing to invest in. And it's actually pretty easy for anybody to follow our numbers because whenever we buy a stock, we send an email what we bought, the price we paid, um, and we do this. And then in the quarterly, we summarize everything we bought and sold year-end. We do it again. Um, so all of the numbers are out there on everything that we actually do. So everything is checked out very carefully. So those, you know, the 19.1% 10-year return, um, that is just what it is. But I'll tell you one stock up that I own. So, sorry, Ben, sorry if I may interrupt you. What, what is the portfolio turnover? In other words, how often or how much of your portfolio do you sell every year? Well, it varies on the markets and the areas. I am a very patient investor. So in a normal year, I might, might buy five companies. Uh, I may sell five companies. It just it really depends on the market. This year, I haven't bought anything for the portfolio thus far, and I haven't, haven't sold, haven't bought at all. So, so okay. but again, I want to remind the audience, and, and Jack, you, you may want to jump in to talk about how difficult 100%. it is, um, because Bench is a contrarian investor. Uh, what he is doing is, is, is going against the herd. It sounds smart. It, sounds, it might even sound easy. Trust me, my friends, it is very difficult. Why is it difficult? For many reasons. Number one, you're buying something that, that is not trending properly. It's going against you. It's going lower. Uh, number two, when something's going lower, people are getting hurt within the name and they are losing money. So no one's happy, which means three, it, it's not topical. Uh, buying stuff that goes up, 
becomes topical and fun and uh, you're being immediately rewarded, instant gratification. Whereas with contrarian investing, you are so, I don't know how to describe it, uh, in, 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 you know, from, from a point of view from the senses. Um, but there certainly is, uh, <laughs> you have to wait for the tannins to kick in. Uh, and the tannins are very long lasting. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching out a stride. Yeah, Jack, pipe in here on contrarian investing and, and, and what Benj is all about. And then you can fire a few questions to our friend and our guest about some of his best ideas sure. going forward. Yeah, th- thanks, Will. Contrarian and investing, it's difficult. You know, everyone comes out of school thinking that they're going to do something different and they're going to be right. Uh, and that's the key to contrarian investing. You have to not only go against the herd, you have to be right. Because there's a lot of times where you buy stuff that's out of favor. Think of uh, like a Yellow Pages or just a, an industry that's, you know, off trend in secular decline. Uh, they look cheap, but they see- keep getting cheaper and cheaper. Um, you know, another value investor, everyone knows him, and he was speaking at the beginning of our radio show, Warren Buffett, right? Goes against the herd, does his homework, and is more often than not right. Um, and the other, the other point I was throwing there, Jack. a lot of Sorry. money being in Sorry. No, but being, it's okay. But being a contrarian investor means you have to be willing to allow yourself to be wrong in the short term. And if you do your homework, you can then stay steadfast with your position to eventually be proven correct. But even then, at some point, Ben, you have to admit, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you got to at some point cut your losses and move on. Um, so, so let's speak about that, if you don't mind, Ben. How do you manage downside risk, and do you ultimately cut your losses? You are not right every time. Um, we, we, we all know that. No, we've been doing this, set for, I've been doing it for 45 years. Certainly, I've had a number of bankruptcies over that time, a lot of stocks that have gone down. Um, you know, people used to say when I was on BNN, you've got amongst the best track records out there, and you talk more about your losers than your gainers. Good so for you. I'm constantly thinking uh, and reanalyzing stocks all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a major way I used to get in trouble before was buying companies with too much debt. And that's when they're more likely to get into trouble. So because, you know, over all these years, we've tweaked the system to some degree. Uh, It's far rarer that we have companies go bankrupt. But at a certain point, if the fundamentals get far worse, or if we're looking to take a tax loss to write off against gains, we'll sell the company. Of course, we can buy it back after 30 days. But it's interesting when you mention Warren and uh, I have tremendous admiration for Warren. I went down to the, the gathering in Omaha, Nebraska a few years ago. But I don't know how much of a value guy he is anymore. When no, agreed. stocks like Apple, etc., um, it doesn't make sense. It's obviously done very well. But he used to be much more, I think, over the years to some degree with Charlie over his shoulders. They have changed philosophy a bit. And also because there's other guys there now, younger guys. I mean, Warren used to say, I won't buy any tech companies. Now they buy them. So I think his philosophy has changed. Now, as I say that, you know, his numbers are phenomenal over the years. Uh, I tried to meet him when I was in Omaha. They said, come back when the meetings are done. Um, 
uh, a great investor. We, yeah, you know, I, I want to speak to you about, uh, you know, Apple. It's funny that you mentioned that stock because I just went through, I subscribed to a service called White Charts. And White Charts, uh, it's, it's, it's a different version uh, of FactSet where it, it, uh, it's a quant system. It grabs lots of data and a lot of historic data. So I, I have a 10-year report on every one of my companies, uh, which shows me the sales, the margins, uh, the growth rate, the tax rate, the share count, the return on assets, return on equity, all the main fundamentals um, uh, necessary. And to- wholeheartedly, you also might make a great point, Benj, uh, that if you're, you're going to be a value investor, any kind of investor, but especially a value investor, uh, when things are going against you, the, the saving grace to that business uh, beyond a good business and a good brand and good management, but the saving grace is a strong balance sheet. The mm-hmm. company needs to be able to survive the downdraft and the out of favorness, stick to business, and eventually the market will reward it once again. Um, and that's where a strong balance sheet is so important. So your homework is required to make sure the company does have access to cash and they have a, enough liquidity on, on site. But when I look at Apple as a business, uh, this is my, I think it's my favorite fundamental large cap name uh, in the S&P 500. Their share count, uh, Benj, has gone from t- uh, 26 billion shares. Yeah, it went from 26 billion shares uh, in 2011 down to 163 billion shares. So they have reduced their share count or increased the shareholders' uh, exposure to that business by 33%. Uh, absolutely remarkable. Their revenue has gone from $100 billion uh, estimated to just under 4 Hundred billion dollars ten years later. So sales are up fourfold. Um, their share, their, their shareholder equity keeps to go up. Their margins remain stable. Their balance sheet remains stable. Uh, they pay a small dividend, but their return on assets, return on equity, are off the charts. Return on invested capital, off the charts. Like fifty percent for return on invested capital. Uh, again, that's a, it's a tech stock, so it allows you that uh, that type of um, uh, flexibility. But I look at a name like Apple and say. Like, why not? Okay, the, the PE multiple's 31. Uh, that's at the higher end of the range. Uh, that, that's a good excuse uh, to avoid the stock. But boy, oh boy, the cash it generates, it, it's just an absolute powerhouse. Do you not agree? Well, it is a powerhouse. And it just had, I think it was 12 days in a row that it went up, which I think was the first time, and I could be wrong, but I think it was the first time since 2003. Um, you know, you also have to, at least I do, uh, take into account book value. Uh, the book value of Apple, I think, is four dollars and forty cents or something. Um, so I think that's a, a relative number too. I mean, Apple has been huge; it's been a technological leader. You know, sometimes something pops on my screen; it says, "Oh, this could be the next Apple." Um, you know, think people get all uh, hyped up. By the that the earnings per share of this company have gone from basically a dollar twenty-five to mm. six dollars. Uh, so, so there's EPS up six, six, six folds. So it's remarkable. Benj, I'm out of time. I'm getting the wrap and the slap. Oh, you know no. what I'm talking about, buddy. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll get you back on, my friend. Um, yeah. Uh, Contotheherd.com. Benj Gallander. Uh, real pleasure. Stay tuned. More show right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Breaking rocks in a hot sun, up on the lawn in a low 
Welcome back to the show, my friends. Thank little you. housekeep, little housekeeping here. Uh, it's all part of a solid financial plan, uh, financial soundness, my friends. You have to make sure you have all your pillars standing. Uh, proper will, um, an understanding of law. And I say to my children, the most important decision you will make in life is the partner you choose. Uh, choose that partner wisely uh, and take your time because uh, if that, you have a partnership breakup, uh, the way the law is today, um, you know, I'm going to have to say it, it, it is not terribly encouraging uh, to get married uh, from a legal financial point of view. Uh, the, the laws are just so onerous. Um, and they are so black and white. Um, Orrin, you, you've been practicing law, I guess, since the family law has changed in Ontario. Um, you know, back in the day, the, when a couple wanted to get divorced, I guess they would have to go in front of a judge and, and share with them all their woes and who had the affair and uh, the, the, the mental anguish that they were put through for justify the divorce. And then it was a moving target in terms of uh, spousal support and child support and division of assets. Um when when did the pendulum, shall I say, switch uh, and become, I'll, I'll say, almost draconian uh, to to the, the to the breadwinner, um, and so uh, as a matter of fact, as opposed to what are the, what are this what's the situation all about? In other words, if a spouse comes home today and says, "I want a divorce," that's it. A divorce can be had, and it's down the middle. Um, so when did this change, and what, what's, what's your opinion of it based on the amount of work that you do uh, uh, dealing with uh, family and marital breakdowns? So um, when the Family Law Act came in, I think that the used to be the Family Relations Act in 1985, and then in 1991, the Family Law Act, um, the law shifted and treated uh, spouses who separate as financial partners. Um, so you're right uh, at the outset. There's, no, there's what we call a no-fault divorce. You can separate just because you want to. <clears throat> you don't have to prove your woes and you don't have to allege fault. Um, and um, it's really, uh, for married spouses, an accounting exercise uh, to figure out what the growth and value of your assets were that accrued during the marriage. And the person with the higher net worth at the end of the marriage makes an equalization payment to the spouse with the lesser net worth and away the parties go. Yeah. And so what timeline, a couple gets married tomorrow. Uh, the, the one spouse brings in a million dollars. That spouse generates, let's say, $500,000 of income. And the other spouse was still a student uh, finishing off their university degree. Uh, six months later, they get divorced. So for the working spouse, what would happen? Million dollars of, of in, or five hundred thousand dollars of income, uh, and a million dollars of assets brought into the relationship. Um, how would that play out? So, so look for for short term marriages under five years, you, it's um, the spouse with the higher net worth can argue that um, they shouldn't have to make an equalization payment, or they shouldn't make, have to make a full equalization payment because the in your example, the result wouldn't justify the, the length of the marriage, right? Um, but that's on the property side. On the income yeah. side, mm-hmm. again, the same thing applies because it's a short-term marriage. I'm not sure that the spouse in that case, the the, the lesser income-earning spouse, would have um, 
had would have accrued a, a dependency that would entitle him or her to. So f- uh, under five years, you, uh, you, <clears throat> under five years, you may get a get out of jail card free. And the reason I share this with you is I've seen too many friends and clients go through a divorce uh, once, twice. Uh, so a friend of mine go through a divorce twice, and each time uh, his net worth got cut in half. Uh, to the point where you know he's he's living a very lean lifestyle today, uh, very different than what he had uh, say five years ago, and it's it's very sad to see, um, and especially as you know individually that often are nearing retirement. Now, people are willing to get divorced at a later point in time, uh, especially once once side feels comfortable enough to to make the move. But it could be very de- detrimental to someone's mental health and physical health. I think uh, if they were not expecting it and prepared for it, correct. Yeah, there's no doubt that if you separate after a, a longer-term marriage, um, that there's a dra- could be a dramatic change to your lifestyle. There's an increased cost to people to have to sustain two homes, especially where there's children involved. It, things become more expensive for sure, um, which is why it's a good idea to plan at the outset um, by entering into a, a cohabitation agreement or a marriage contract to try to deal with what might happen in the future if you do separate beforehand. Uh, let's talk about marriage contracts. And again, we're going to have to get to a break uh, in a bit, but we will get back with you, Oren. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Oren Weinberg. Uh, he's a partner at Bullby Weinberg. He's a lawyer, a family lawyer, also a mediator, uh, specializes in arbitrations. Um, went to York University, uh, graduated with honors uh, in 1995, was uh, invited to the bar, uh, as they say, uh, in 2004. I've been invited to many bars, my friend. Um, <laughs> Oren, I want to speak to you about uh, prenuptial agreements. Um, um, how effective are they? And and can you put something into, because I, I think the answer is no, but I asked the question again. Can you put something into a prenup, have the other party agree to it uh, of sound mind, um, and, and that then override the Ontario uh, family law? Or does the family law stand firm in terms of division of assets and that can't be written out of a, an agreement? Uh, no, you can utilize a cohabitation or a marriage contract uh, or a prenup, as you call it, um, to contract out of the operation of the legislative scheme under the Family mm. Law Act. So you can, um, you can. So, so, so if your spouse says to you, "I don't want a dime if we break up, no support, no division of assets. It's all yours. I just love you so very much. I want to spend the rest of my life with you." Um, and, and, and if they were to sign off on on, on that uh, those intentions, uh, would that stick in court? Say ten years uh, down it, the road, fifteen years down the road. The, it might. I mean, contracts are not bulletproof. But if if both parties if both parties had full financial disclosure and understood the deal that they were making and had independent legal advice, uh, if somebody you know signed away the farm, I think they'd have. Uh, difficult time trying to get out of that contract. Um, I think the courts are more inclined to enforce a property arrangement um, as opposed to uh, somebody waiving their rights to spell the support. Uh, that that part is a, is a harder test to meet, I think. Um, but overall, I think courts will allow grown-ups who are fully aware of what the deal is that they're making to um, enter into agreements uh, as they wish. 
We're speaking with Oren Weinberg. He's a, a family lawyer. Um, again, when dealing with lawyers, you may, must go to specialists. Uh, a lawyer is not a lawyer. Uh, you must go to a specialist, and family law is his own division of law. Uh, if you need a family lawyer, uh, you have issues uh, that relate to the family law. Uh, Oren Weinberg may be a person you can speak with. Uh, he's a partner of company is Bull B. Weinberg. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and get right back with Oren. We're talking about uh, prenuptial agreements, contracts, uh, family law, and... Uh, the reasons people get divorced. Stay tuned. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage This I tell you, brother You can't have one without the other An institute you can't disparage. Welcome back, my friends. I don't know how true that is in this day and age. Maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, I am a romantic at heart, and I do like to believe it is true. Uh, but uh, what I am seeing uh, from 30,000 feet above uh, is a lot of 30-somethings and late 20-somethings, um, shall I say, shacking up, checking it out, testing the waters, per se, playing house as my parents. What are you, playing house, Fulfi? As my mom would say to me once, if I stayed over at a friend's house, shall I say, for the evening, are you playing house? Oh, yeah, she was all over me for that one. Uh, that was forbidden in my house, I shall say. Um, not that we didn't participate, but uh, it was what it was. But Orrin Weinberg, he's a family lawyer. Um, important to have uh, some lawyers in your uh, Rolodex, shall I say, uh, your contacts, millennials. What's wrong with the Rolodex? Hey, a big round thing on your desk. You remember those friends? Jack doesn't. I do. <laughs> and a bundle with Orrin. <laughs> he may as well. Um, but a family lawyer, important. Very, very important. You're going to make sure you have your will up to speed. And uh, same thing. You got to look at that will every five years, 10 years. Make sure it still reflects your needs and wants. Um, things do change. Uh, but Orrin, I always speak to that uh, and, and legal advice for, you know, 25 and 30 year olds who are. Uh, looking to move in with one another and perhaps even have a child out of wedlock. That is, I think, more common now than ever. I'm not sure what the percentages are, but I, I, I do know a number of people who have children without being married. Um, but there's obviously laws around that governing it. Again, we talk about breakdown in relationship. What happens if you don't get married and you just shack up five, six, seven years down the road? How's it treated by the law? And, and then the second question I want to get to, so you maybe weave this in. A lot of parents out there see the struggles their children are having to move into their first home and so, therefore, they're willing to make that gift, you know, a fifty, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollar gift. I've seen it even more. Uh, again, in terms of marital breakdown, how can they protect themselves, and how often do they protect that gift to their child? Uh, please, Oren, over to you, my friend. So, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are getting married uh, later into their thirties, and they are not, and or they're not getting married, and they're shacking up, as you say, and they're coming into relationships with. Um, already having accumulated some assets from working hard. And uh, it's really important for them to uh, think about their financial planning in the future, whether they get married or not. Um, 
if they get married, like we spoke about, the legislation requires them to equalize the growth and value of their assets. But if they don't, and they make contributions to each other's property, um, the, the person who makes the contribution to the other person's property has a right to get compensated for that contribution. And um, people don't think about that on, on the way in. And you're speaking now about a, about a piece of property. So if they both contribute to the mortgage, let's just say one individual owned the home and, and had a mortgage, and then they both shared in supporting that mortgage. Uh, that's exactly what you're referring to, Oren. They have a right exactly. to, to, to that point. But what if the one person uh, paid for the, all the mortgage, uh, all the mortgage payments plus the down payment? Uh, again, and 10 years later, the home grew in value, say 100%. Uh, would the other spouse who put nothing in be entitled to the growth in that asset? Not if they're not married. No, but so, if they were married, they would be entitled to the growth. If they were married, then the titled uh, the titled spouse would be sharing the full value of the right. of the matrimonial. So matrimonial again, for, for, so friends at home, understand this: if you're a young couple and one of you has a house with a mortgage, you may want to just continue to pay the full mortgage to protect the asset. As soon as you get the other person participate in putting and contributing towards the asset, they have a legal right to it. That that is correct, Aaron. They have a right to claim compensation to contributions they have made, and that contribution could have been to the paying down the principal, but it also could have been to making improvements to the home if the there was a renovation the that they did, or you know anything to improve uh, the property, finishing the just, basement. Just for fun, let's let's split some split some hairs here. What about utility bills? Uh, what if that person just paid the utility bills uh, as as their quote unquote rent? Uh, would they be entitled to anything? I don't think so. I think it has to be more of a capital. Improvement in capital contribution. Hmm. Yeah. That's important. That's an interesting lesson. So again, uh, young couples, if one of you owns a house and you're looking to move in with your partner, you may, you may just want to continue to fully support that uh, property yourself. See how it goes um, and uh, carry on. I wonder, Oren, uh, how often do you see people getting, again, you're at the back end of it. You're at the divorce end, not the marriage end, I guess. Uh, but I'm just curious how often after people do move in with one another, uh, do they end up getting divorced or just re- remaining uh, unwed for the balance of time? Uh, and I just have a silly question. I'm curious, what last name, if they had children, would they give that child? Uh, any idea, guys? Sorry, I didn't get the question. Can you repeat that? The, the, the last name. If, if, if a couple remained unwed um, and they had a child, uh, what, what last name would that child receive? Both last names? The, the man's last name? Um, the woman's last name? Uh, if, the part, if, the, if the parents can't agree, I think the, the trend is uh, a, a, a double-barrel last name. So both last names. Two last names for the child. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, interesting. Um, and, and, or in, in interest of time, uh, if I were to um, make a sizable gift uh, to my child, one of my children, uh, so they can then have a down payment on a home in this crazily priced city of ours, uh, you know, you'd be talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, which I'm not going to do yet. Um, but if I were to, is there any way of me protecting that money? What's the smartest way, in your opinion, to protect that money? I know you can certainly uh, have a mortgage drafted up, a, a zero interest mortgage, and, and hold that. Is, is there any alternatives? Yeah, I mean, it would be really smart of you to encourage your child to enter into a, an agreement with his or her uh, spouse uh, to protect your investment. So in other words, if they did separate in the future, then they both agree at the outset that you, you get your money back. Uh, and, and But I would not get capital appreciation back if the home if the home went up in value. My, my, my share of the home would, in fact, diminish. Uh, let's just say I, I own half the house, but the house then doubled in value. I would only receive my original capital, not the growth, correct? 
No, I mean, you can, you can, the parties can agree or you can make whatever deal you want. No, that's um, not, yeah, yeah. Thinking outside the box, good for you. Thank you. So you can, so that's just it. Friends at home, again, if you're thinking of making a sizable gift to your child to buy their first home and they're going to move in with a friend, um, protect yourself. Protect yourself. And Orrin, do you, you, you draft such contracts? Yeah, we, you said we do most of the work on the back end, but we also do a lot of work on the front end by drafting these kind of contracts. It's about financial Beautiful. planning. Beautiful. That, that, that's fantastic. Uh, Orrin Weinberg, partner of Bobby Weinberg, uh, family lawyer. If you need a lawyer, uh, contact Orrin. Uh, he's a very knowledgeable individual, very pro. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time, my friend. I want to wish you a safe weekend. Um, are you married, Orrin? I am. Go buy your wife some flowers. Probably a good investment. <laughs> I, I, I will probably do the same. Jack, you hear me? Uh, flowers for Kate. Really flowers for Kate. Flowers for Kathleen. Flowers all around. Show the love. Uh, trust me, it's worth it. <laughs> Sci-Fi Radio, each and every Saturday, 640 in Toronto. I'm Wolfgang Klein. Any questions for Jack or I, please contact us. We're always here for you. WolfgangKlein.com is where you can find us. Check out the performance that we've been putting up for our clients. I think you'll be quite impressed as well. Jack, you're a good man. I'll speak with you all very, very soon. Have a great weekend. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.